The Florida Gators come from behind on the road in Columbia, South Carolina. Today, we recap the thrilling come from behind victory as the Gators finally break their road woes. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. Another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, a very joyous, triumphant, exciting recap show we have for you today because the Florida Gators finally went on the road and got a huge victory. They did it in thrilling fashion, coming from behind by 10 points in the fourth quarter to win 41 to 39 in Columbia, South Carolina. This was one heck of a victory. The Gators went 75 yards in the final two and a half minutes of the game to win On a, in the last 47 seconds. They ended up intercepting Spencer Rattler at the end and then had to do a little bit of uh, gamesmanship with the, with the football there to, to kind of work the clock. But they get out of Columbia with a thrilling 49-39, 41-39 victory and this is one of those victories where Gator fans are going to remember it for a long time, especially if the Billy Napier era goes the direction we all hope it goes. Could this be the inflection point, the turning point, the catalyst to move the program in the direction we want it to go by getting past something that has eluded us for so long, and that is success on the road, especially in the SEC? Neil, you were there. You were amongst the Gator crowd. You got out of Columbia, South Carolina alive. You're home safe and sound in Charleston, South Carolina right now. Tell us what it was like to be there uh, from start to finish. But, you know, just getting that victory. What, I mean, what were the final seconds of that game like? Well, I mean, anyone who follows in all kinds of other brand at this point knows, I mean, my my personal rivalry with that fan base. I've, I mean, I, I've tried to downplay it because I mean, for a number of reasons, the, the most important of which is that this isn't really about – this isn't I'm I'm not like a personal vlogger. I'm not like a Lance Stewart or a Lele Pons or Amanda Cerny or whatever who just like vlog their lives or Logan Paul, I guess, and just like vlog my lives. I'm here to talk about the Gators, but it was noteworthy that two years ago their fans did engage in some of the worst uh, shenanigans I've ever encountered um in, in any sporting event. But so I was kind of leery of them this year and it got off to a weird start again when I parked my car um on a one of the side streets in, in like the city of Columbia off the campus and a couple of drunken hillbilly frat bros come up and like, yo, you you can't park here, bro. Only only game cock. And they're like their bodies are like like swaying back and forth they're clearly drunk but then they make a reference to yeah well your your car tires might be slashed when you get back so i'm like okay we're off to a start here this is going swimmingly but honestly from that point on they were mostly fine um i think i just caught a, a bad batch of them last year and in, in the, in the one section and you know leaving the stadium they were just euphoric about the win um but no i mean they were cool they were into it the the crowd was loud sandstorm before the game is a really cool thing um makes it really fun to beat them and then turn up to that same exact song. As you saw, um, if you're on Twitter, you saw Ryan O'Hara, the, the QB um, analyst coach, just jamming out to it. The whole team getting lit. It was just, it was an, it was a moment I'm sure to be in that locker room. And, and, you know, we, we, me and my friend and I played it on the way home, just soaking in the wind. It was just a, just a great day, man. I mean, Columbia as a whole is, 
you know, it's got some nice areas, it's got some bad areas, but the Gator people there were awesome. Uh, Charlotte, Charleston, Atlanta, Jacksonville, South Carolina's upstate teamed up with Columbia's Gator Club to have a nice like block of tickets. So it did kind of feel like almost like a bowl game in that sense, not necessarily a home game, but it felt like kind of like the Orange Bowl I was at in 2019. But there's just a block of Gator fans all soaking it in and you know sharing the same the same love for your team we we swayed at the end of the third quarter there was no band to play it there was no soundtrack but we all sang we are the boys and we sang tom petty's won't back down so we we kind of brought the gainesville to columbia in that sense but i mean the game man that was that was incredible that was one of the more memorable victories certainly a billion apiers tenure um and honestly chris i'll i'll make this statement our our buddy Mark Ryan, who we're gonna try to have on the show soon, always says, you know, for good content, you want to make a big statement at the start of your show or pod. So here it is. That that last touchdown was it, it's up there with Chris Doring's touchdown against Kentucky in '93 as the greatest last-minute Gator game-winning touchdown pass in school history. Because think about it, there haven't been a ton of them. It's a very short list of touchdown passes in the last minute to win a game for the Florida Gators. It's this. It's Doring's got a touchdown. I can't think of anything else that's up there. Well, and now that you mentioned that, this is the first time in four years that the Gators came from behind and won in the final moments since the Kentucky game in 2019, where Kyle Trask led the furious fourth quarter comeback. We were down by 11 points in that game, 21 to 10. 17 losses since. 17 yeah. losses since that game. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think you were going in a different direction, but it's got to be stated. 17 consecutive losses went down 10 in the fourth quarter. That was yeah, no, I mean that. No, I mean, you're right. And we hadn't won an SEC East opponent uh, since 2020, which during the COVID year when we only had quarter capacity in stadiums. It, I mean, it, it's wild to think it, it's been that long. And this is the first time in that time, in the at least since 2020, you know, coming into the bye week before Georgia, where we actually have some semblance of momentum because of this just dramatic victory over South Carolina. But you're right. I mean, I, I would actually agree. Like, I, I was talking to Dustin after the game and I think it's up there with the Doring's got a touchdown moment. We'll see the significance of it. I mean, you look at the significance of that moment. It kept alive the streak against Kentucky that ultimately ended up to 31 games. But Florida also rung off four consecutive SEC title appearances uh, and victories after that moment, too, from 93 to 96, culminating in the 96 title. You know, and obviously Doring has gone on to become a legend of his own. You know, he's had a fantastic career. He's a fantastic guest of this show in the past, too. But yeah, I mean, Ricky Pearsall, Graham Mertz, I mean, that, that I mean, it was almost reminis- like the same spot on the field, similar end zone going that direction, similar spot in the end zone in the middle of it in between two defenders. I mean, it was something to just behold. And, you know, that this, that play alone was just legendary by Mertz, something that I don't think we've seen from a Florida quarterback since Kyle Trask, where he looked the safety off to the left, giving him just enough room to hit him on the seam where, you know, Pearsall made a great swim move, able to beat the corner. He kind of was able to really get all over South Carolina. And we'll talk about that when we get into the offense. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I was watching from 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 my in-laws this week and, and there's a video out there of me getting really excited. Uh, that The video of me on Twitter is actually uh, after the Spencer Rattler interception when the game was pretty much sealed at that point. 
But I mean, it was a similar reaction when we scored the touchdown too. I mean, it was a lot of high fives, hugs and everything. I mean, it was, it was an awesome moment. And, it, and I think it's a moment too, Neil, that Gator fans have just been, has eluded them for so long. Just that euphoric feeling of such a great victory. I mean, last year against Utah, I think we had it, you know, when, when Amari Bernie intercepted uh, Utah at the very end of that game, Cam rising there in the end zone and in and, and the dramatic fashion in that first victory. But that was like, it was like high. And then we haven't, it was, it's been a valley ever since. And now finally we've gotten back to that moment again, where we finally had something where we can think about as just on that level of, of just pure adrenaline and excitement for, for something that just happened. So, and, and it's just some wins, I think just mean more than others, right? Some wins, some moments mean something a little bit more. And I think what Gator fans are hoping is it means that this is just a turning point for Billy Napier which we'll talk about, and, and maybe we just want to start there. We, you know, I think we'll, we'll talk X's and O's in this game. We're going to have to break this game down, obviously, but let's let's talk about just the the impact of what this victory does. I mean, Neil, what do you think this does for the program going forward, at least for the rest of the season? And then we'll talk long term. But you know, right now the Gators sit at five and two. We're three and one in the SEC East. Florida, believe it or not, actually controls because Kentucky lost to Missouri last night. They now control their destiny to Atlanta. I'm not saying that we're going to win the SEC East. I mean, right now, obviously, Georgia was going to be a heavy favorite to beat us in two weeks in Jacksonville. But Florida, I mean, if you would have told me going into the season, you're going to be five and two, you're going to be three and one in SEC play, you're going to control your own destiny going into the bye week versus Georgia. I think you would have taken it. I think most Gator fans, if not every Gator fan, would have taken it, considering everything we've been through in the last year. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you have the floor here and just kind of tell me what you think this means. I mean, I, I can kind of answer both the, the uh, this question and the question you posed at the top. What was it like to be there? I'll just show you. This was about 20 seconds after the, the, the Pearsall touchdown. That's a great view. I do not remember the last time the Florida fan base was that hype since the Utah game in the Billy Napier's first game at the University of Florida. And even then, it was just like, you know what? It's great, but there's still so much to go, and there's a lot that we don't know about this team. And that was a Pac-12 opponent. How good really is Utah? Of course, they turned out to be very good, but this was going on the road to an SEC team and beating them in their house. When we can talk about this later too, but Florida didn't play that well to me. Like that's that's not that's not bashing them. That's not defense. Defense did not play well. The defense did yeah, not but play. The well. offense, We're gonna, I think the offense played great. I mean, you have to say the offense played the offense. Points. The offense was fine. They let they let Graham Mertz get sacked four times. That's not good. They let uh, two other negative plays happen, which against this defense, I mean, Gamecock fans want their defensive coordinator fired. I think for a good reason. And they they shut down a lot of Florida plays before they started. There was a third and two where you have an extra blocker and you have six blockers against five defensive linemen, and the five beat the six. That should never happen. So yeah, the offense was was very good overall, but still definitely some things to be concerned about moving forward. But again, this isn't the part of the of the show where we talk about that. My my point here is, yeah, Florida didn't play great, and they still won the game. And they still won the game is the thesis of the statement. It is not the, you know, 
just Neil giving a backhand compliment. No, it, it's the best thing about this. It's the most important part of it. They won a game where they didn't play their best. Yeah, they and didn't play their best, but I thought they played very well. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I think this was one of the best games offensively, maybe the best game offensively we played all season. I mean, we scored 41 points against SEC defense on the road. We played turnover-free ball. We controlled the clock. Mm-hmm. You know, we threw for over 400 yards. We would have had over 500 yards of offense if we didn't take a safety in the back of the end zone and go backward 30 yards at the end of that game. I mean, this team played very well on offense, and there was a downfield passing attack. We talked about how there was almost no air yards against Vanderbilt. How many air yards were in this game? I mean, we were throwing the ball a all lot. over the yard. I mean, this this, this a is lot. a performance that would that would that probably made Steve Spurrier blush. I mean, he said that he wanted to see Billy Napier throw the ball his wife said it he got his wish I mean Billy Napier threw the ball all over the yard and there were multiple receivers that made a massive impact in this game obviously Ricky Pearsall Khalil Jackson came up in this game made some big catches Eugene Wilson once again flashed Arliss Boardingham made some massive plays down the stretch at the end of this game, especially that fourth down run where he converted a fourth and 10 where he caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage ran at 14 year old yeah, I mean, my heart stopped when I saw the ball thrown behind the line of scrimmage. I was like, oh, that's bad. And, and the guy missed a tackle and boom, first down. I mean, that was that was the end of it. But I guess back on track here before we really get into the X's and O's. What's Neil, it mean for do Navy? you think? Yeah, that's what, what, what does this mean for the team right now at this moment? Can we capitalize on this momentum and finish stronger than we've expected? Because I think many fans a few weeks ago were thinking – five, six win season, seven if we're lucky. Can we exceed that number now? I mean, the schedule at the end of the year is still what it is. Missouri looks less beatable now than they did even a couple weeks ago. So that game, even as Florida's getting better, is trending more and more toward looking like a loss just because Missouri is so strong. They just went and they punished Kentucky on the road where Florida struggled mightily. So that's no longer a sure thing, whereas I think at the start of the year, most Gator fans are kind of pinpointing that as a win. Going to LSU, I know they have their problems, but that's still a very talented football team. And Florida they beat Auburn part, soundly last night. I mean, yeah, they, they crushed Auburn. Yeah. And I mean, most of the teams Florida's played this year, had they've been on par with talent-wise or more talented than according to 247 Sports Composite, LSU is one of two teams that is markedly more talented than Florida. Yeah. So that's going to be hard. FSU is a top five team. They're almost certainly going to be a top 10 team when they come to the swamp, if not in the top five and sniffing the playoff, that's not going to be easy. And then Georgia is the back-to-back defending national champs. So number one, right. And and you can't really reasonably assume that's going to be a win unless, you know, Brock Bowers is out and Carson Beck gets suspended and another number of things happen on top of that. You can't assume Florida is going to be favored in that game. So it's still an uphill battle. I think to eclipse that, that seven and five ceiling, that I think a lot of fans had pinpointed before the start of the year, but we're seeing some progress, Chris. And that was all I asked for. I've, I've said this gotta be 41 different times now, but all I want this year is to see steps in the right direction. I need to see improvement. I need to see signs that the operation is headed in a positive trajectory. Chris, we got it. And that full circle back to your last question. What does this mean for Napier? Well, now we know that Billy Napier can win games on the road. Billy Napier had one road win before this. Um, it was at Texas A&M, which I kind of poo-pooed on saying, yeah, well, that's a 17-year-old kid making his first start. And A&M has a ton of problems on top of that. So that was just them being 
even more incompetent than we were. This, I, th- I think, is the first time Florida has has truly earned a road win. I think that was more just AM's incompetence kind of handing Florida one. Florida went and they earned this one. They took it. And that shows me that we can, I, I think, what was it, Chris? Like a Florida, what, a 12.5% chance heading into this game? <laughs> yeah, remember that? Because I said, well, look, I'm looking at the data. I look at the data that has rolled itself out to me. I see Florida is one in seven outside of the swamp. That, you know, one in eight chance is 12.5%. So I'm, I'm going by that. I said, give me more data to prove me wrong and, and justify more positivity. Now I've got it. That's what it means. Well, well, and now Billy Napier is two and seven on the road now at the University of Florida. Uh, a statistic that Edgar Thompson from Orlando Sentinel put out before the game, he said that Billy Napier at the University of Louisiana started two and seven. He then finished twenty and nine before he left. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. He he turned it around. And this was things we talked about in the offseason at nauseum last year. It was like, listen, be patient. Napier improved all of the numbers across the board for the most part at Louisiana. He got better in almost every single metric you can think of, whether it was statistically or record wise, you know, he improved at at UL. He started with a losing record there. He ended up winning the conference back to back years that there was a, there was a method to the madness to get there. Now, granted Sunbelt SEC, different animal he's gonna have to continue to prove it on the road he started two and seven now at florida he's got a long way to go to get a 20 to 20 and nine that's going to include victories potentially against lsu and missouri like you mentioned tall task and georgia which is not at home the one and seven record outside the swamp one and seven is outside Ben okay. Stadium. He's one and five. I didn't in know if that included the neutral. No, neutral. so he's one. He was one and five in true road games. The other two were the Vegas Bowl against Oregon State and Georgia and Jacksonville. Okay, okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was including. Okay, now I understand. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if he played a lot of neutral games outside of at Louisiana, outside of really the bowl games, because they even played their conference title game. They played one on against campuses. Mississippi State. They played a, a neutral against Mississippi State in the in the Superdome, but. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a few. Yeah. Just I mean, a couple. Yeah. It's it not a bit, but similar statistic, yeah, but definitely, I, you know, he improved. And, and, and I think that that's something to be said there. Now, I want to go back to your, give you a chance to kind of answer this. And you've been very, a lot of fans will always kind of say you're sometimes negative, Neil. I, I think a lot of times it's people like kind of blur it with this. You're just being realistic, you know, you're, or you're just being honest. And, you said 12% chance to win. You were on a lot of fans gave you a tough time with a 27, 10 victory uh, prediction for South Carolina. A lot of people roasted us on Twitter by saying all of us, including uh, Dustin who go, by the way, uses his model. That's his prediction. He's putting his model prediction on there. He actually said on, I think he went on high top and actually said, my heart's telling me Florida's going to win this game. And his heart was right. Uh, we all, though, as a staff predicted South Carolina to win the game, you were a little less optimistic uh, then Dustin and I were a little bit closer. Does this change your view maybe going forward in road games or in games? Like, let's say do you have more confidence that we could pull an upset now over, um, let's say, Missouri on the road or an LSU on the road, Florida State at home. Like, that, I guess that's what I'm asking is that you're not going to like just say, OK, 12 percent chance now on the road at Missouri or LSU or something like that. No, because like I said on, on on that pregame show, I'm going by the data that's rolled itself out to me. One in seven outside of Gainesville, 
is 12 and a half percent chance. Now, obviously it doesn't quite work that way. There's you know, no similar players on the field for this game for South Carolina than there were, uh, or that there were for say FSU last year um, or for Vanderbilt last year or Georgia or whatever. So I understand that there's different, you know, different games, different game plans going into it, different teams with different strengths. I get all that, but I'm just saying we've seen Florida do so many spectacularly um, let's, let's just call them not good things outside of Gainesville that have resulted in their demise. Sometimes it's been terrible decisions by Anthony Richardson or, I guess now, I mean, Mertz hasn't made any terrible decisions, but he's, you know, he's missed some balls. He's been less than perfect. Certainly um, he hasn't seen his receivers open down the field. We've had uh, the offensive line completely imploding. We had the defense just completely forget how to tackle against Kentucky. We saw, um, and, and even in this game, we saw the defense play its worst game of the year, which is frankly concerning given that, you know, you, you thought Kentucky was rock bottom and then this is even worse, but um, no, I mean, the answer is I have now seen a data point that that contradicts what led me to say 12 and a half percent, because I thought that Florida is going to lose every road game until they prove otherwise. Well, now they just proved otherwise. So am I, I'm not going to say Florida will be favored against either LSU or Missouri, and they shouldn't be. But there's going to be a much higher percent chance coming out of my mouth for those games than, than there was here. Just because again, now I have a data point. I said before the game, the reason it's so low is because I don't have data to justify it. Now I do. So yes, that, that, that will change. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I think it definitely gives me a little more confidence that Florida can pull an upset. I mean, right now, I think the path obviously is you got to beat Arkansas at home that gets you to your six that guarantees you're bowl eligible for the second consecutive year. You get those 15 additional practices in December. It gives us hope that we can maybe get to that eighth, that seventh, eighth win, whatever we do. I, I, I do. I will predict that right now, Florida finds a way to upset one of the remaining opponents outside of Arkansas that we're clearly going to be the underdogs. in. I mean, I, I don't see us outside of Arkansas being a favorite in any of the other games out other than that one. So that's Georgia, LSU, Missouri, Florida State. I think we pick off at least one of those four games plus the Arkansas to get to seven. And then we'll see if we can if we can get a little bit more, you know, froggy and get another victory there. I don't know. But you know what, Chris? I, I'm definitely I'm going to call my shot. I think it's FSU. You think I, we'd be? I don't. Yeah. I I don't think it's LSU. That 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 game is Casey ruled. We are hexed. That is not going to happen. <laughs> Georgia is just ridiculously talented. They have a massive talent advantage over us. It won't be those two. Maybe it's Missouri. We are pound for pound more talented than they are. They haven't really played their tough opponents yet. So maybe that's the one. But I think mm -hmm. I'll I'll rephrase. I'm not predicting that we beat FSU. I'm saying I think. If we do pick off one of those other four, it is going to be FSU. Not that we will, but if we do, that's the one. Yeah, no, I, and I, I would agree. I think I think if you look at the the schedule going forward from Missouri, they haven't really played the thick of it yet. They did beat uh, Kansas State when they were top fifteen, but as we've now seen, Kansas State has has dropped. They've they've lost a lot of games since then, so that might not be as big of a victory. I mean, this is a team that. Uh, only beat Middle Tennessee by four points. Now, at least they beat them on like a team down in South Beach last year. But, but Missouri, still, Missouri also I mean, shredded Kentucky. So they did, and, and, and we can't talk I, about I think, Kentucky. But I think I, I once again that game just frustrates the hell out of me because 
you just watched that game last night. And I think that we just allow these guys to make us their Super Bowl every single year. And they just get up for it. And for whatever reason, we just don't do it. And I, I, I'm, I'm frustrated that we we let that happen again because I still don't think they're better than us. But nonetheless, I don't want to get back on it. It's fine. But if you look forward, it's Missouri fun. plays South Carolina next week at home. Potential letdown spot there. You know, South Carolina is going to be reeling, but potential letdown spot for Missouri. Then they go to Georgia in two weeks. And then they go to – and then they play Tennessee at home. Then they get us. I mean – that's a pretty – that's a tough stretch there. And then they finish at Arkansas to end the season. I mean, that's a tough uh, schedule there for them. So even if they do beat South Carolina, they could very well drop two before they get us. And that point could be ailing a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I think the most likely is that we probably beat Missouri or FSU at home. And Florida has played lights out in the swamp uh, since Billy Napier has arrived here. I think the only loss we suffered would have been LSU – Kentucky. No. First year was oh, bad. that's right. Kentucky, Kentucky so and USF was a near catastrophe the very next week. So, and very Charlotte true. this year wasn't really pretty either. But against against yeah. big time opponents, yes, Florida does show up in the swamp. That's definitely true. Yeah, and we almost beat FSU in Tallahassee last year. So I mean, yeah, but it, it's not like it was a delta where they like. I mean, our defense—if they would have just been able to tackle Jordan Travis one or two more times in that game, we'd probably win. Or if the referee calls a face mask on Anthony Richardson at the end, which it clearly was, then you know you never know. That could have gone a different direction. But nonetheless, I do think there's hope going forward for this team after this this victory against South Carolina. It just it, it re-energizes everything from from the top down, and then the staff's got to be feeling good too. Going into the bye week, you're going to get your team healthy. You're going to have two weeks now to prepare for the number one team on a neutral field, and anything can happen in that rivalry game. Anything can happen. Georgia has not looked their best. They didn't look their best against Vanderbilt. I, I honestly think we played a better game against Vanderbilt than they did uh, last. And then they did go to Nashville, of course, but still, I mean, that's basically a home game for any SEC team that walks into Vanderbilt. That, that that really should not matter whatsoever. We looked better. They We're going to get their best shot, slept. though. You got to assume that. We're going to get Georgia's best. Kirby Kirby takes his game personally because of how he he kind of got his butt whooped uh, in college against the Gators. And he he treats his game like Spurrier used to treat Georgia. Uh, Georgia. And because it, it, it was that remembering of like getting beat when you were in college and then he's returning the favor as a coach. So, you know, but uh not Spurrier wasn't completely invincible against Georgia he did lose uh one time so <laughs> I will say Kirby also the 2020 game did a number on him he according to people that I know who do know who he is uh that 2020 game that exponentially heightened his hatred for Florida just just the whole idea of of losing to Dan Mullen who like openly doesn't care about recruiting especially the year after when that recruiting line comes out he knew that like he out recruited Mullen at every step of the way. And you just got embarrassed by the guy who openly brags about not caring about that. Like, yeah, I just coach better than you. So no, he, that, and obviously Mullen's gone now, but that, that hatred for Florida has just been heightened since that game. But anyway, um, yeah, that was, you know, that, that was a game, man. Let's, let's talk about it. Cause there's a lot to get into about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, let's get into let's get into the offensive performance first, and then we'll 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 go with the defense and and all the other yes special teams and whatnot. But offense, you cannot start talking about offense without talking about Graham Mertz. I mean, this was an impressive performance uh, by the by the uh, the fourth year player. You know, he had four hundred and twenty three passing yards. He was thirty of 
48, three touchdowns, no interceptions, did not turn the ball over. He, of course, engineered the two-minute drive that went down for 75 yards, converted on seven. Florida was three for three on fourth down, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, converted on a fourth and 10 uh, to Arliss Boardingham. And and then also, you know, the drive before was still massive too because we were down by 10 and was able to engineer that drive. So fantastic performance in the passing game. Like we said, Gator fans have been looking for a passing attack. They got it in this game. The running attack wasn't quite there. Now, we finished the night with 71 rushing yards. I'm going to note, I think we were over 100 yards slightly before we took the safety in the back of the end zone. But not exact. If you would have told people that we would have had barely over 100 yards on the ground, and do you think we would have beat South Carolina? I said we needed 150 to win the game. South Carolina actually finished with 152. So this game, rushing did not matter. Like the game was won in the air. And South Carolina also had a great air attack too. They aired it out for 313 passing yards. Spencer Rattler were a little bit more accurate, 23 of 30. But Neil, offense came alive in this game through the air uh and it was it was done primarily through Mertz and what he was able to do Mertz had his best game as a Gator despite the fact that if you look at his probably his best okay hold on sorry his best game of his career I mean like to be honest I think this had to be his best game probably um I mean I'm not as familiar with this game by you know his game log from Wisconsin but definitely his best game as a Gator um despite the fact that if you look at his completions for uh, versus his attempts, that this was his worst game as a Gator. If you're just going to go by his quote unquote efficiency, but this goes to show that that is not all that matters. He did not turn the ball over. He hit the throws he had to make. I think that there were two plays where he did not see a receiver who was open down the field. I think part of this was the offensive line, not doing its job and letting the pressure get to him. But there were two plays where I thought he feasibly could have at least made it look like he was interested in throwing the ball there. One was Khalil Jackson on a corner route um, heading into, I don't know, north and south. It was the end zone with Carolina in it as opposed to the one with Gamecocks in it. He was headed towards that end zone on a corner route. He had him by a couple steps. He just didn't didn't throw the ball to him. So that was one. But you know, pound for pound, snap for snap, this was his best game as a Gator. He did not make mistakes. He hit receivers when they were open. And this time he hit them down the field. Chris, I'll I'll gladly eat some crow for this. I said Florida didn't have a downfield passing attack. And that was essentially how they won this game. Aside from, you know, maybe a couple of missed blocks here and there that led to some plays getting blown up in the backfield. Merch got sacked four times, as I said. Florida had a really explosive downfield passing game this year or this game. Now, again, I will say the offensive line that performance does make me worry about what it can be in the future because they will face far better defensive lines in South Carolina. But that was an offense that I thought, okay, if we have this, this gives me reason to think we can exceed our expectations this year. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line is going to get Mertz killed if they don't start protecting him a little more. I know we were out without Kingsley, but I don't actually think the interior of the offensive line was the issue. I think it's the tackles. I mean, you look at Lindell Hudson, Damian George, they're just not getting the job done on that side of the line. And then opposite, Austin Barber 
got beat a few times in this game, and and he's supposedly outside of Kingsley, the best offensive lineman on this team. He has got to play better back there to protect his quarterback. Because there were numerous times that Mertz absolutely just he hung in there, but took some shots, and it took him a while to get up. Even on the touchdown pass where he threw it, he came hobbling off the field, and then all of a sudden he's like leaping in the air, and it's like I don't know if the adrenaline kept him from like you know having to like realize what had just happened to him because he got murked on that play. I mean, they called a personal foul for roughing the passer. And, and then, you know, he is acting like nothing's happening when he gets back to the sideline, pumping the crowd up. I mean, that guy's just a gamer. I mean, he truly embodies what Florida football is all about. So, you know, hats off to him. He clearly, to me, is the MVP of this game. Obviously there were other standouts in this game. Pearsall's got to get a, you got to, you got to split that. You got to split that MVP award. Pearsall. I mean, you could split this, you could split it multiple ways though. Pearsall Trace, saved I mean, you can him, give it to though, Trace Mack too. On the yes, but but mm-hmm. but Pearsall on the fourth and forever bailed out his quarterback by going and making a big play. Now, granted, it was a jump ball, merged through the ball there. That I don't think there was another option. I mean, I wrote about this on on the website and all kinds of weather.com. You can read the full um the full recap of the game there. But I mean, the play was as such. Mertz had nothing other than Ricky Pearsall. His options were try to juke past two Carolina defenders throw back across your body to a covered Arliss Borningham, throw through a referee and a Gamecock defender to try to get it to Khalil Jackson or throw a jump ball and hope your receiver goes and makes the play. And Pearsall made that play. Ricky Pearsall went up and he beat his corner, Nick Emin Worry, and he saved the game because that was a fourth and long. That ball is not caught. Gamecocks get the ball right back over in Florida territory. They probably score, bleed some more clock off, and that game is over. So Mertz absolutely give him all the credit in the world, but he he's got to share this one with Pearsall. The the two of them get yeah, no, MVP. I mean, he had ten catches for 166 yards, a touchdown, including like you mentioned the fourth and ten on the game winning drive, as well as the touchdown catch and. The assist to Eugene Wilson on the tip drill. We're not going <laughs> to talk about that one. That was. <laughs> Ebal was thrown yeah. a little behind Ricky. Sanity. Mertz definitely made up for it on the touchdown pass, but the ball, you know, heads up play by uh, Eugene Wilson there to make the catch and run it, I think, 20 plus yards down the field, who also finished with a very impressive six catches for 83 yards. Didn't get his touchdown in this game, but clearly he is becoming a massive part of this offense. And if you look at that, you also Arliss Boardingham, five catches, 55 yards, a touchdown. Khalil Jackson, two catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Their weapons starting to emerge for this team and weapons that are going to be around outside of Ricky Pearsall for a long time on this roster. I mean, Eugene Wilson, a freshman, Arliss Boardingham, a redshirt freshman, Khalil Jackson, I believe still has another year of eligibility left. And, and then you get guys like Hayden Hansen, who also uh, is starting to show up in the passing game a little bit more. Marcus Burke did have a catch in this game. It was good to see him back out there. I don't know how involved he'll be on in the future. But And then we have other big-time receivers in Aiden Mizell, Andy Jean, who haven't really made as big of an impact yet. But I think that's just because they're behind guys like Ricky Pearsall for now. But they certainly have the ability to make plays into the future. you got to feel good about the passing attack going forward with guys like that who are already making plays in this offense. And overall too, Neil, I thought that the, the route running was better in this game. I thought the concepts were better. They, they, they clearly did their homework, the coaching staff. They took a lot of things to heart and implemented a game plan that got the receivers open a lot more consistency consistently. We're going to see in the games to follow if they can replicate that and do it again. But 
we've said that there were some gimmicky things that Florida did in the in the passing game and in the offense to get yardage against teams like Tennessee, Charlotte, Vanderbilt that weren't necessarily replicable. This is a performance, in my opinion, that is replicable against other teams going forward based on the performance that they had. So that definitely, definitely, this is something that we should be excited about because the coaching staff clearly made some big changes. They got the ball in their playmakers consistently. And once I think you get a Trevor ETN a little bit more healthy, this offense can really start to thrive because he was not his full self. He had 49 yards, average of five yards a carry. Both running backs, honestly, I thought played pretty well, but you can tell there were a few moments where Trevor ETN could have taken on contact and chose not to. He stepped out of bounds. So he hopefully in these next two weeks, he gets healthier for that Georgia game. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, it's hard to find too much to be upset about with the offense. The offensive line aside, um, I mean, obviously not their best performance. I will say, though, Austin Barber, I don't think had a great game. He did put one awesome thing on film, and that was on the first touchdown of the game. He's got to get his props there. He absolutely buried his defensive lineman, like Michael Orr in the blind side, just picking him up and carrying him and throwing him down. Uh, I mean, like, I guess the – I guess the offensive line versus defensive line equivalent of what Brandon Spikes did to know Sean Marino, just absolutely alpha rolling him and throwing him down on his back and then talking his talk in his face, which was nice. And, and it wasn't just for show that that block did pave the way for ETN to just barely sneak that football over the plane of the goal line. So um, not a, a great game for him, but definitely not a game without its positives either. So I mean, Chris, we can we can be concerned about the offensive line, um, but I think Kingsley will be of value when he gets back. I think that will help a little bit, as we saw against Tennessee, the the jump from the Utah game to the Tennessee game with Kingsley, even not at 100 percent, still noticeable, still something that we can say, yeah, Kingsley back does help us out. It does cure some of our issues on the offensive line. The defense is what's got me worried. And we can talk about yeah. that because it took a what, major what? Yeah, one more thing before we get to the to the defense. I do want to shout out Jake Slaughter though because I do the the mo- the gameplay that he has had since Kingley's been absent is going to pay dividends down the road because he's clearly the guy next in line to take on that role as center. And I think he has improved immensely from the first start against Utah to now. There's definitely clearly a noticeable difference with him playing center. You can tell there's a he's a lot more comfortable in that position. He's done a much better job blocking there the the holes and the gaps in the offensive line are not coming from the interior like the guard masco is playing well I, I think slaughter's playing pretty well now you know richie lenard's playing fairly well too it, it to me the tackles have got to play better almost all the procedural penalties come from the tackles almost all of the sacks come from the edge the blind side for graham Mertz. that is the issue and florida they've got to land a big time offensive lineman either in the portal or through high school this offseason. I'm excited about uh, Westfall coming in, but we've got to get Jordan Seaton in this class too to cap it off because we have got to start recruiting elite offensive linemen if we're going to see a difference at the tackle position moving forward. It's the most important position, in my opinion, on the offensive line outside of the center because they, they protect the quarterback and you have so many elite edge rushers in the SEC. So I wouldn't write out Rod Kearney, by the way. I think he still could be that guy. That was a big recruiting. But he's more of an interior guy, though. He's not really necessarily a tackle. Yeah, but I mean, he he did play offensive tackle in high school. And if Damian George continues to struggle at at right tackle, it wouldn't utterly stun me if Florida made a move there. 
Um, because it, I mean, at some point you got to try something else. Cause it's like we said with the, it's like we've been saying with the offensive play calling, which wasn't really the issue in this particular game, but the, the same logic holds in that if you're trying the same thing over and over and it's continuing to hurt you on a week and after week, after week, after week basis, maybe try something else. So that's the kind of logic I'm using now to say, hey, maybe Roderick Kearney could get slipped into that right tackle spot and you know, see how he does because Austin Barber does have enough reps under his belt that I do kind of, I, I do trust him to get it together more so than I do with George. So I guess we'll see, but um, definitely don't keep Kearney's name um, out of the mix for guys to step in there. Yeah. Well, something to look forward to for the future and, and, and it'd be good to get him some play time before the end of the season, because he came with, I think he was our highest rated offensive lineman last year in the class. One of our highest in recent classes, definitely look for him to make an impact eventually in some way on the offensive line. But speaking of the, uh, the offensive line, having to guard edge rushers defense, defense, it definitely took a step back. Once again, in this game, it was very reminiscent of the performance against Kentucky, it was not necessarily because of the ground game. Yes, we did give up 150 yards on the ground. Not fantastic, but not a backbreaker. What could have been the backbreaker was the aerial attack. This secondary got very exposed. The pass rush could not get to Spencer Rattler enough to make a difference in this game. Neil, are you concerned now that we've seen we've had we've had seven games Two of them now on the road where the defense definitely does not look the same like they do at home. I don't think I'm necessarily hammering away at the panic button, but it's it's kind of at a point where I'm I'm looking for where it is, if that analogy makes sense. Like, where did I put the damn thing? I've got it somewhere. Let, let me man, it may, it may not be a terrible idea to, to track that thing down. So look, you give up 37 points. We're not gonna count the safety. You give up 37 points in the SEC, you're going to lose 90% of the time, especially with the new clock rules, especially, especially with the way that Florida's offense runs. And look, they get credit. They put up 41 points. That's great. It's not an offense that's built to score quickly. That's built to run tempo. That's built to put tons of points on the board. And it's not an offense that's designed to come back from double-digit deficits. They did. That's great, but it's not something you can objectively count on to happen. So this defense played badly enough to lose a lot of games in, in this particular game. Like you play that way against Missouri, it's a loss. You play that way against LSU, it's a loss. You play that way against FSU, it's certainly a loss. And you play that way against Georgia, it's a loss. You may lose to Arkansas if you play that way. So the, and there are a lot of things to clean up. First, Jalen Kimber, I thought you know, we, we've seen some good things from him. He's very Jekyll and Hyde. Like, Ross, like even Ross like it, in that well, in that game, he gave up multiple deep balls where he's just getting bodied by uh, Xavier Leggett. He One didn't of them could have been an OPI, but but yes. regardless, agreed. Yes, yeah. And then it he comes rough. up and he does make a couple of good tackles every now and then. It's it's just it's yeah. so weird. Like it, it, sometimes he makes a great play, and then other times it's like, whoa, is that the same guy out there? You know, and it's a shame because like he is, in my opinion, he's played better than Jason Marshall overall. Jason Marshall didn't play as bad in this game, but they clearly trusted him to guard their best receiver. So, right. and he did not perform admirably against him i mean xavier legout five catches 110 yards didn't have the touchdown but almost didn't even need to because of the way he played i mean it was 22 yards per catch i Not mean good he he loses like 
a lot of hand fighting battles, it seems like whether he's pressing and jamming at the line of scrimmage or if it's like 50 yards downfield and they're like jostling for a position, but trying to to maneuver the hands subtly enough that it's not called for interference. He loses a lot of those a lot of those like hand fighting wars, like the hand will get placed too low and the receiver will just slap it aside. And now all of a sudden your hands like behind your back, basically from the like from the force of having it slapped aside, like it swings behind your back. Well, now you're literally playing defense with one hand tied behind your back. So it's, it's just a rough situation. Like I, I feel for him because he's put some good stuff on tape for Florida. He obviously thought enough of Florida to transfer there from his, the Gators, arguably biggest rival in Georgia. So it's clearly been a, a bit of a trial and tribulation story for him, but I mean, and, and he's had some bad luck too. Like he, he had great coverage on Dane key uh, last year against Kentucky played that perfectly could not do any better. Dane Key just goes, makes a tremendous catch and and wins. And like, what are you supposed to do if you're Jalen Cambry? You just look like, I, I mean, coach, I did everything I'm I'm taught to do since I was four. Like what, what else can I possibly do to prevent that? So he's, he's had some bad luck before too. So I, I do feel for him, but that, that game tape was rough, but you know, again, not just him problems go a lot deeper than that. The lack of a pass rush, we talked about this with Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up Show. South Carolina's offensive line is historically bad this year. First four Only two games, sacks. Only two, two sacks. sacks in this- two sacks. Yeah, for perspective, in four games against FBS opponents, South Carolina's offensive line gave up 22 sacks. Nine of them against South against North Carolina in one game. Nine times in one game. And then in the other three games, they got better and only allowed 13 sacks in the other three games. Florida only with two. So that's a problem. Um, And I thought the linebackers for Florida were were okay. Um, Shamar James, I mean, definitely did not hurt the Gators. I didn't think he was necessarily as as dominant on defense as he has been in previous games, but you know, he was fine, but this is the point though, that every, every level of the defense took a step back the secondary, which we thought was going to be okay. We thought like going back to the Tennessee game, for example, Jakeem Jackson beat for a touchdown. You get that nice moment with Jordan Castell coming over, patting him on the head. Like, Hey, Hey, come on. We need you. We need you. We need you. Castell didn't play a great game. He was the guy that we thought, wow, three games in, this is a leader. This is a guy that's going to be producing for us consistently. He takes a step back. Um, Jakeem Jackson, I didn't think do anything egregious, but I mean, just, just the whole defense, everywhere you look, there's just bad game film being rolled out there. And that again, as we play teams that are going to get a lot more talented, that's concerning. So we keep it respectful, but we keep it real. That's the mantra of this pod. Chris, I, I think it's fair to say that, it, it's reasonable to be very, very worried about this defense moving forward now. Yeah, it's it's definitely cause for concern because of who we're going to be playing in, in the coming games. And they, they definitely are going to have to get that cleaned up. I, I, I'm curious to see. They have two weeks now to, to devise a better game plan, to devise a better scheme, to get a little bit healthier. I mean, I don't really think we have that many injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, like we do on the offense, like offense, we clearly have had our issues, offensive line, obviously Caleb Douglas out right now, Trevor Etienne has been in and out this season. Defense that there's no excuse. I mean, in Shamar James and Scooby Williams, who have played lights out really through, I would say almost all the first six games, they, they didn't have not, they did not have a great game in this one. And I thought that they, 
some of the the gap control assignment football was not there coming up to make the tackle fill the holes to try to get that penetration so you would you know it seemed like South Carolina was really gashing us for like those five yard gains when it really shouldn't have been no more than a one or two yard gain and that's because the linebackers were not coming up in the gaps and getting to the ball carrier quickly and there were a couple times where you know, they were out of position altogether and they went right through and you have one-on-one on the sideline with a corner and the running back. And it didn't end well nine times out of 10 for us there. So there's going to have to be, I think, a big time film review. And Austin Armstrong's done a good job cleaning up things. You know, we had the bad game against Kentucky. They were sound against Vanderbilt. Let's see if they have two weeks here to get things cleaned up. They're going to have to, to give Florida a chance because the only way Florida's going to win in Jacksonville, in my mind, is probably keep the game low scoring in the 20s. Defense is going to have to force some turnovers. They're going to have to get to Carson Beck. You cannot have this performance again against South Carolina, like you did against South Carolina, against other teams, like you mentioned, or Florida will lose the game, and it will be ugly because I'm not sure that they're going to face. I mean, South Carolina's defense isn't that good. I mean, and like they're talking about firing their defense coordinator. We're going to face a Georgia defense that's won two straight national championships, a Florida State defense that is not – I mean, I know they play in the ACC, but they're not – they're playing the opponents that they get, and they're not letting them score a lot. Missouri, they shut down Ray Davis in the second half. We didn't do that. I mean, LSU. we're going to play some LSU, who only held Auburn to 18 points. I mean, they're, they're, and their defense is not that good either. But talented. Like, actually, it, it, but it does have some talented players that can make plays if Cal they're Perkins. doing the right things. Yeah. Like he's, he's, uh, go- he's going to single-handedly wreck us. And like that defense can just, just with Harold Perkins alone, if he makes two or three plays and Florida's defense plays the way it did against South Carolina, that's going to be a a 49 to like 27 type loss where we may put up points because their defense does have holes, but they're going to run rough shot all over us. So that's that's the concern that this this was a historically bad South Carolina offensive line. Very good skill position, guys. Xavier Leggett's a very good um, playmaker in space. Um, McDowell, Nick Harbor, those are some certainly above average playmakers. Spencer Rattler is going to be in the NFL someday, whether he starts or not does remain to be seen. But he'll, he'll make a roster because that arm strength and that vision he has down the field are very, very, very impressive. So Florida will, though, face teams that are not just better than South Carolina, much, much better. And that's where the concern comes in because now they have regressed from the first month of the season to what is still not elite competition. So like you said, there's a bye week. They can get healthier. They can figure some things out, but they better because this kind of performance is going to result in six and six. So, yeah, well, I mean, and, Arkansas, look, they yeah. were down 24-6 to Alabama on the road. They did not give up. They almost came back and won that game. And, you know, Jefferson is a fantastic quarterback, almost 250 pounds. He is going to be a tough load to bring down when we do play them. You, you can't take them lightly. And Florida, they just have got to get back to playing sound football again on the defense. And I think it's assignment. I think it's a want to. You have to want to go up and make the play. And I'm, I'm just seeing certain things, fundamentals that aren't there. I mean, Princely, I love the guy and his pass rushing abilities. I love the fact that he's got a great uh, beat rate and he's able to get to the quarterback. He's got all these quarterback hurries. He, he has one sack to show for it. But his, his uh, you know, edge control, 
leaves a lot to be desired. A lot to be desired. Very impressive. You know, yeah. it, 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 it's not good. And it's great that you can get to the quarterback every now and then, but you got to set the edge too, because you're not going to play in the league if you can't set the edge. Like you will not start. You might not even get drafted if you can't set the edge. Because that's a bare minimum what you have to no, do. He'll get drafted level. because 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 of the way he can rush the passer. I think his floor is like a fifth or sixth round pick. But he'll, I mean, he'll he'll have he'll have a very. But if you want to take that practice. next step and be a better a right. better draft no, pick, sure. you got to start setting the edge and like that stuff. You got to start putting on film right now, and you're gonna have some great opponents to do that for. This is your money year. Like, step up. Like you can do this. We know you are capable of it. Like, but that that that's something that it's starting to show on film that you cannot set the edge. If you and and that's a problem because then you that's when you leave our corners on an island and it, it's just not been good. Those are the so is there is there a standout though on defense that you in this game? Like I, I think the freshmen played pretty well. I mean, TJ Sershi had a half a sack. Derek Wingo started to show up in this game a little bit more. He got himself a half a sack. He was in there. Uh be you know, I thought Jaden. I, I thought Jaden Hill may have been the unsung hero of the defense in this game. He played well. I mean, he he has taken that star position and locked it down. The star position is not a problem anymore at the University of Florida. Like, if you look at all the DBs across the board, he's been probably one of the more sound cover corners on the team. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I would say him and Kelby Collins were the, the closest thing to a standout. Collins actually, I think, only had one statistic. He only had one – one tackle, but he was, he I mean, he, yeah. he was, he was walling off some potential holes that kind of redirected the play elsewhere on a couple of other plays. So like, to me that, that should be a stat. It isn't, but it, it rings all the more, or it rings just as important to me as actually being in on a tackle that he, he forced the play to do something other than what it was designed to do. So those two guys, oh, Cam Jackson, Cam Jackson, yeah, uh, gotta give him a hat tip. Sure. He, he, like there was a play where, he fired off the ball, beat the center, and then just shoved the uh, the running back into Spencer Rattler. Yeah, that was great. That was. I good. mean, he and he's done that numerous times on film this season. I, I do think he's a special player. I think he's going to play at the next level when that happens. That was hilarious. I think boo all they want, but that dude just just manhandled him. I mean, manhandled him and that blew the play up. I'm, I don't think they scored on that drive, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think they ended up getting three, but still like that, that's the kind of play that you want to see a little bit more consistently from everybody across the board. And, you know, I think the defense is still lacking some talent at certain positions. There's no doubt about it, but like improvement, there's got to be improvement in this game. Give Miguel Mitchell his props too. He, he didn't have a great game. He did miss a, a couple tackles here and there. He made the game banning play. He gets that. Yeah. He'll remember that for the rest of his life. Uh, defensive line did get pressure to kind of force that throw. But, I mean, it's just like there's something that just feels so good about watching a player who either messed up or, or failed or didn't do what he was supposed to do come back later in the game, redeem himself in that moment. Like, if you remember the the Tennessee game in 2004, James Will Hoyt, the kicker, missing the extra point and redeeming himself by making a far more difficult kick. Like that, to me, the fact that he missed the extra point before that made the, the game-winning kick itself so much sweeter than it otherwise would have been. Like obviously still would have been awesome. You beat a rival with a last-second kick, but like add that element to it and it's just that much more special. So Miguel Mitchell, definitely, um, especially on the last touchdown, the 33 yard, like catch and run that probably shouldn't have even gotten 
10 yards, but there were two missed tackles on that play. One by Castell, one by him. Um, Miguel Mitchell is going to forever go down in Gator history as the guy that ended this game. Pearsall, I, or Mertz and Pearsall won it. Miguel Mitchell ended it. True. Yeah, very true. And, you know, the thing about Castell is, we've talked about this before, it's tough to play fresh a safety as a freshman in the SEC. This is a true freshman out there, and, and I don't think many people expected him to be a day one contributor. He has been. He's played very well. We probably won the Tennessee game because of him. He limited a lot of big plays in that game where Joe Milton could have burned us, but he stopped the play from hap- a couple of plays from happening. I'm going to be patient on Castell. I think he's going to be a great player for us here at University of Florida. I think he's had a couple of, he's had a stretch where there's some growing pains. And, you know, when you're a freshman, not everything's going to be linear. I mean, look, even Travis Hunter, one of the best players in the country, is getting mossed against Stanford in overtime, blowing a 29 point lead. You know, he's, he's going to play in the league one day. He's going to be probably a, a top 10 pick. He got mossed. I mean, guys are gonna guys are gonna misplace. And but he's put some stuff on film where I'm pretty I'm fairly confident that moving forward, he's gonna make some big plays for us. He's gonna be a, a, a three, four-year starter for at the University of Florida. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And and you know, Bryce Thornton too. Bryce Thornton's playing a lot too of that safety. I think by the end of the season, we're probably gonna be starting to a freshman back there. That's the way it's trending, at least right at this present time. And all up and down the defense, a lot of young guys. There aren't a lot of – there really aren't any seniors playing that much outside of Derek Wingo and Taraja Mitchell. And they're, they're reserves behind Scooby Williams and Shamar James. But, all right. Well, I think that about does it for defense. Certainly took a step back. Well, before we get to our grades, I think we got to shout out maybe that third MVP that we talked about, Trey Smack. Four or five from his kicks. The one that he missed was blocked. And I will say this. It would have been good if it was not blocked. That was not his fault. It would have been good. He would have been five for five. We wouldn't have maybe needed that dramatic uh, touchdown at the end of the game if he had made that kick. But nonetheless, this guy's automatic. He is becoming automatic. He hasn't missed an extra point yet. Begs the question why he wasn't starting from the get-go, Neil. But Trey Smack turning in one of the best kickers, like that long line of kickers that Florida's had, starting with Eddie Pinheiro. Uh, and then, of course, we Caleb had Evan Sturgis. McPherson, yeah, there. Caleb Sturges. You know, we even back in the day had a guy named Jeff Chandler and Matt Leach were two other good ones. Judd Davis. Uh, the two, you know, Judd, obviously Judd Davis. And Judd Davis uh, gave him a huge shout out on Twitter, basically saying he was the MVP of the game. But Trace Mack, like, God damn yeah. Yeah, special he has single-handedly turned special teams basically into a strength now for florida mm-hmm. just because it was kicking cap tip thank you shane graham for bringing him to the university of florida one of the last good things that the mullen regime was responsible for you guys you get you guys get that that was that was a very very nice evaluation by you mr graham that was a very very nice um take by florida recruiting win there that was great. And if not for him, Florida loses this game. I am I'm 100 percent convinced of that. They Definitely. they have they have to settle for field goals on five drives, four of them resulting in three, the other one resulting in zero. If you even take six of those points off the board, Florida loses. So and I'm I'm not even because the, the end game plays out differently. The safety probably doesn't get taken. Florida does something else to bleed down the rest of the clock. But if Smack goes two for four, like if Mahalik is the kicker. 
I'm, I'm sorry, but Florida loses this game. So as, as simple and as blunt and as frank as it can be stated, Trace Mack um, saved Florida in this game because those are not easy kicks. Those were not all chip shots. The one from 28 was a chip shot. The other three were very difficult for him to make, um, especially the 54-yarder. 54 yards, and it could have been good from 64. I mean, it, it, it hit a few yards up on the net. It wasn't like it was dying, and it just, like, because of a – graceful gust of wind just cleared the the crossbar by like two or three coats of paint no he he crushed that one so he gets all the credit in the world for that and i thought chris overall special teams was fine we you know gator fans have been all over chris couch who again i'm gonna point out he's not an on-field assistant he's a quality control guy so if you really want to get mad at some someone about that talk to the head guy who set the staff up that way. But nonetheless, defense or the special teams is fine for Florida. It didn't lose the game. There was the one breakdown on, on the, the kick that got blocked. Um, there were no attempts to return kickoffs from six yards deep in the end zone. And South Carolina was kicking off quite a bit because our defense did not really show up. Um, there were no shanked punts. Jeremy Crawshaw, uh, I, I think, coming into this game, you could say had regressed a little bit in recent weeks, not this game. That wasn't an issue. Um, there were no, there was no lining up with 14 or six players or nine players for a field goal or for a field goal block or for a punt or a punt block or anything like that. Nope. They got the numbers, right. There were no double Jersey infractions. There were no, none of the little small things that you just roll your eyes over and go, God, man, how is that even possible? Like we were doing against Kentucky or Utah. So they get it. They get credit for that. They get uh, a gold star for that. Chris couch. I mean, if you're going to harangue him when the special teams does terribly, you got to treat him with the same, um, the same fervor as you do in those bad situations. When things go well, you got to give him a gold star and give him a tip of the cap when things go right. So special teams definitely um, taking a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 positive to see considering where we started the season. We literally lost a game likely because of special teams in the first game. And now to see that it's become an asset and helping us actually win games is a breath of fresh air. And moving forward, hopefully something that, you know, we can count on in games and not have to worry about. I think it's become less and less of a concern. I think the concern more moving forward is how do we just really fare against the best teams in the country? We're going to be put to the test and we're going to see. But Special teams, if they continue to play like this, they're going to help us win games. They're going to keep us in games. And that is at least something that we can be thankful for. Of course, the block kick, not great. And that's going to ding them in, I think, in our grades tonight. But not it, to the point where it, it was it was detrimental. And, I mean, I think a lot of us were a little uneasy when, you know, everybody was talking about, is this the, the week the Beamer ball shows up? And then you hit the block kick in that game and you're like oh god is this is this it this is the beamer ball time and at least it wasn't a return it was like a it was blocked at the line but it went past the line over everybody's head so it was a dead ball basically at that point they couldn't really advance it or do anything with it it just stopped right there but also worth pointing out south carolina special teams overall were terrible they did block that kick but there was the 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 disaster on their extra point to go up uh, what would have yeah. been 38 27 that impacted the last drive you can say because now south carolina's hunting for seven not three so yep. that hurt them kai kroger a great punter for them shanked one punt in the first half shanked another punt in the second half he has been a big yep. asset for them uh so 
really uncharacteristic just implosion um, on their end. Special teams hadn't been great for them this year, obviously, but I mean, it really put them behind the eight ball in this game. Yeah, and Florida in the last drive, let's say we don't get the touchdown, we could have at least kicked a field goal and tied the game at that yeah. point because of the miss, and they could have gone to overtime, which, you know, you never know. Florida may have pulled it out there too, but still, it didn't mean Florida had to get six like South Carolina did on the ensuing drive for them. So, yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge moment in that game when it was almost like it was a reverse. I mean, a complete reversal of what – and I think it was a lot more impactful, actually, than the blocked kick at the time for for Florida. So – yeah, yay for special teams. We, we, we've we now recapped offense, defense, and special teams. I think we talked a lot about coaching this game, too. Neil, I think it's time to give our grades for this game. All right, let's do it. I'll let you go. Offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. Let's hear it. Offense is going to get its best grade of the year for me. It's going to get an A-. minus. Uh, the offensive line not playing well is why it's a minus and not an A or an A+. Plus, but... I mean, look, you you can nitpick a throw or two here and there. You can't ever really expect Graham Mertz or any quarterback to be perfect and go through his reads and find the right receiver and throw a perfect ball in every single play. So being reasonable, I thought he played as well as he possibly could have. Same with the receivers. They ran great routes. Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, even not at 100%, I thought made big differences in this game. Offensive line brings that grade back to an A-. minus. So... Very, very good, borderline great, but maybe not that that outright great or phenomenal great. Special teams, I tweeted this during the game, man, they, they failed. The defense failed because – Not special it, teams, Freudian slip. You're talking about defense? Uh, I'm just so used to saying special teams failed. The defense, <laughs> the defense failed. You're, you're right. I stand corrected. The defense failed. The defense left Florida down. And if not for easily the most explosive – offensive performance or maybe i shouldn't say explosive certainly if not for the most productive offensive output of the billy napier era the defense would have been responsible for a gut-wrenching loss for florida they just did not do anything right you i mean the, the missed tackles the failure to set the edge the lack of pressure with an offensive line that as chris phillips at spurs up show says is historically bad for them you get two sacks on Rattler when everyone else is getting five or more. And that, that's, that's not going to win you games when you have such an glaringly obvious weakness that you can't exploit the offense bailed them out. But for the defense in particular, that was an F. So they did to their credit, make the stop they had to make on South Carolina's penultimate drive before forcing the interception on the final drive of the game. So it's going to be that like, that 40 out of a hundred grade where it's not the just drop out of college, just quit, go work at McDonald's. You, there's no salvaging this type of F. No, I mean, subsequent tests, I guess, like against Georgia or LSU or Missouri, if you want to play the analogy all the way out, they could a subsequent test and, and pass the class if you want to take it all the way. But no, this was a failure of a, of a performance. 465 yards given up is, is just, awful when South Carolina had been averaging not even 400 yards per game. Um, and in Florida hadn't given up 400 yards a game this year either, that this was by far the worst production from Florida's defense from a yards per game allowed standpoint. So um, yeah, just awful. So F special teams, they're going to get a solid B for me. They were good. They did what they were supposed to do. Trey smack, big leg. We knew that was going to happen. 
the block kick is what takes it off the A grade because that could have been something that would have really helped Florida out. It didn't. So they get dinged for that. But overall, you know, B is fine. Passing grade by by far. No real complaints beside that. Um, coaching is it's kind of difficult to to analyze exactly what role Napier had in this game versus what role the players took on themselves, like how much they decided amongst themselves that, Hey, we're, we're tired of losing on the road. You know, maybe we have to take it upon ourselves to have this great week of practice, which Napier said they did. Napier obviously as a head coach is going to get some of that credit, but like, that's where I think it's worth giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying, look, if your players all buy in, and this was all because of your players and not all because of you. This team is all yours. You flip this roster. They're still your guys. So you still get credit for that. So however you want to slice this, Napier is going to get the first solid A of the year. A for you, Billy Napier. You, I mean, look, you could nitpick some of the play calls. I thought a couple of them here and there were questionable. I'm not going to fault him for that fourth and 11 screen to Arliss Boardingham. That was clearly a check down. That was not where the play was designed to go. But Chris, like you mentioned earlier, I kind of gasped when I saw the ball get just dumped off to him. Like, oh no, he's going to have to weave his way through their defense for 12 yards on this play just to keep the game alive. Um, but no, he gets an A because the team was ready to go and they stood tall when it mattered most. And as the head coach who recruited and signed all these players, that's a reflection of you too. So Good for you, Coach Napier. You get a solid A for this one. All right. Well, I I think we're going to have very similar grades overall. Offense gets an A for me. The, the, just we have been asking for more just of a, of a passing attack. We've been asking for more explosive plays. We got it in this game. And if you could couple this passing performance complement with a complementary run game, this offense could go to another level. That, that could propel Florida to exceed expectations this season. So this is just a huge step in that right direction. They won us this game. Whenever you were able to overcome a 10-point deficit in the final eight minutes of a game, I mean, that's incredible. And then, of course, they had over 500 yards of offense outside of the, the minus yards at the end when they were taking the knees and took the safety to make sure the game was iced. They get an A for me. Defense, I'm going to go D-minus. And the only reason I'm not failing them is because they made the play to one. They made the stop after because we had to get the ball back twice to win this game. They did make the stop to get the ball back to give Florida and Graham Mertz a chance to win the game at the end. And then, of course, they made the interception at the end of the game to win the game. So isn't a D minus still a failing grade? Not at the University of Florida if you're taking a general education credit. Sure. Fine. Don't I, ask why I know that. <laughs> I was gonna say. Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh so it you know, I, I think they get a D. They 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 basically get the the lowest D you can get in without failing. There we go. Fair. And that's only because they made the plays at the end to give them a chance to win the game. Outside of that, you're right. Worst defense performance, statistically speaking, this season. Cannot have it. Had they lost this game, it would have been a fat F. Special teams. I'm going to go B+. Plus. I'm going to a little bit higher than a B. And the only reason I, I guess that's because, like you said, without Trey Smack, 
we would have lost this game. And it has to be said the impact that that makes. It would have been a solid A had it not been for the block kick. But in my opinion, the special teams are, like we said, they've taken a massive step forward. Come a long way since week one, guys. We've come a long way. So proud of these guys for getting to this point. B plus for them. Coaching, A. They have been through the ringer. The fan base, from the media, from a lot of, there's been a lot of noise in the system, as they say. But they've 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 hung in there, and they've made adjustments. Like they they clearly they they're making adjustments week to week. Show one that they're listening, but two they're not ignorant. They are not like the Dan Mullen staff that was like, this is fine. You know the fire going I around was the dog. Proud and, of it. I was proud yes. of the ignorance. Yes. I'll never forget, actually, two years ago when we played South Carolina on the road. And at half, you were at the game, Neil, so you wouldn't have remembered this or heard it. But at halftime, we're getting our butts kicked. And I'm the reporter asked Dan Mullen, he said, so are, uh, do you need to make any adjustments? And he flat out just said no and walked in the locker room. And I lost, I lost it at that moment. I'm like, I want this guy fired on the tarmac tonight. I mean, it was, it was just blasphemy. But this staff is not like that at all. They they understand that they have to make adjustments week to week in order to see change. And that's why I have a little bit of hope for the defense, that they'll make that change. So they get a, uh, a an A for me. So overall, great victory. We're feeling good. Neil, anything South you want to say? Fans, South Carolina fans that were – they seem especially – like every team – Every school in the SEC and even outside the SEC that plays and beats Florida seems to love to do that gator chomp. No one more so, I think, than South Carolina. There were a lot of clips. There were a lot of shots of South Carolina fans doing, oh, the chomp. Yeah. A little prematurely. But, a little it, premature. but it wasn't it, like purposely doing the chomp wrong. Like it's supposed to be arm blocks at the elbows, right over left, right? So you had some Gamecock fans like it's going out of their way to do like leftover right like arms bent like kind of that or even like this just 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 to be irritating and they did it early premature chompulation and on twitter i have i mean i posted a couple of like you know victory pictures one where i took the the gamecock like hand sign and they flipped it upside down they they did not like that by the way there is a the, the first picture i took when like before the sun had gone down there were a lot of Gamecock fans like streaming out and I made a point to do the, like the hand down thing right as they were walking out just so that they could get one last um, unfriendly um, piece of, of Gator fandom thrown in their faces. But people have been asking me on Twitter, like, do you have any response to all the South Carolina fans who are doing the chomp? Like, do you want to chomp back at them? I'm like, because I mean, they know my rivalry with them. So there is, there is one thing um, that I can say to them, but it's, it's not, going to be with words just give me one sec this patient is killing us yeah is it i mean i think what, at this point, what do you got what do you got coming. cooking up neil what do you got i think cooking everyone up? knows oh, it's coming what do we got point. there i think everyone knows it's well, coming at this point well, chicken oh, dinner winner winner so, chicken dinner so delicious oh hold on i gotta just just for the memes I'm gonna cut myself. A it's piece. like this is like college game day where they have the food on the set at the end of it. Uh, just, uh, just for the memes. We got, we got a minute oh, till this yeah. cuts out, Neil. Oh yeah. Winner, winner. 
chicken dinner. The Gators have defeated the South Carolina Gamecocks. God is still smiling on the Gators. We thank you all for tuning in to the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. Go Gators. Have a great day.